From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder here with my friend and colleague, Quincy Crosby. How are you today, Quincy? How's the long weekend? I'm fine. Oh, yeah, but I, I still think it's Monday, but you've got to keep me straight. It's Tuesday morning. I think a lot of us have a case of the Mondays, even though it's Tuesday. I yeah. uh, hope uh, you all had a really nice uh, long weekend. It sure feels like summer here in Boston because we have uh, 90 degrees or so for the high today. Uh, so might might not quite be done with the pool uh, for the year, uh, but certainly kids are back in school pretty much uh, everywhere at this point. So yeah, it does feel like, like summer is over. So uh, here's our agenda for this week. We've got, um, you know, of course, as always, a market recap. The S&P 500 five-month win streak uh, just ended, although we had a very strong week uh, for stocks last week. We'll talk about scary September seasonality. Now, we'll make the case that maybe this won't be quite as bad as you might think based on the historical pattern. Uh, next, we'll have a discussion about the bond market and where yields might be headed. And then finally, the preview of the economic calendar. Um, so let's get right into it. The um, you know stocks were up really nicely last week, Quincy. I, I think I know the reasons why. Um, certainly, the Goldilocks jobs report was part of the story. So the S&P 500 up 2.5%. Um, what else do you think was... Um, was driving stocks higher uh, last week, or was it just as simple as that? that the market was anticipating, you know, a cooler jobs report, and and that helped, uh, you know, rates come down and and the market get comfortable that the Fed might be done. Yeah, all of the above, but the effect on the ten-year Treasury yield certainly helped underpin the uh, the market move. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about the ten-year yeah. here and, and, and the bond market. That's the subject of the weekly market commentary, which is uh, available on, on uh, LPL.com. I mean, we said it last week that really the most important thing for stock investors to watch is probably the 10-year, the right? The bond market is is driving the bus, uh, so to speak. So we'll be uh, watching the bond market very closely and what that means for Fed uh, expectations, and then in turn uh, for stock market valuations, which are, of course, interest rate sensitive. Uh, so very good week last week, even though stocks were down in August slightly. Um, the Nasdaq did particularly well. It was a growth-led week. You see that on the, um, you know, the sector table here. Uh, you had technology up over four percent. You had um, communication services, which has some big tech in it. Very strong week as well. And then consumer discretionary, the third place where big tech lives, up uh, over three percent. So that was really, the, I think. The biggest story of the week was growth continued to lead. Of course, growth stocks have led all year. Uh, but um, you had energy sneak up, right? Energy is actually the best performer over the last three months. That's a market, Quincy, that you follow really closely. I know oil was up last week uh, and I believe natural gas. So um, it seems like the market is starting to recognize value in the energy sector. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Although I have to say, even when uh, energy led uh, before it, you know, pulled back dramatically, uh, we didn't see that much participation in 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 that market. You know, we look at we look at flows into the ETFs, uh, 
it is almost an unloved, and I think people worry about it because it could be a fickle, depending on China, depending on politics in in DC. Uh, that's something I, that that affects uh, the energy market, and there are many who don't believe that uh, the energy companies are going to stay with their, you know, uh, shareholder value theme, not you know, not not going off. On 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 spending splurges, you know. Obviously, the rig count is down quite handsomely, suggesting that they're not going to do it, and they are still focused on shareholder value, returning returning share uh, value to the um, to the shareholders. So it is interesting that it, it tends to be unloved and and questioned, and we're going through that. We're going through that now. But prices are up this morning. Prices are up. They have inched up while we were spending Monday, uh, you know, uh, seemingly on 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 vacation. Yes, it's uh, Tuesday, September fifth, twenty twenty three, as we record this. But these returns uh, that we're showing are through uh, Friday of last week, through yeah. uh, September first, mm -hmm. and and yeah. So energy, yeah. you know, it used to be all about just production volume at any cost, and now. Uh, for a number of reasons. One of them is the whole ESG movement. Exactly. Uh, produce, but it's also just investors, activists uh, demanding uh, better returns, right? And that has changed behavior for energy companies. And now it's more about smart production, profitable uh, production, higher hurdle rates to take on new projects. Uh, and the market, yeah, is starting to recognize it. It's not a new story, right? I mean, you see yeah. here, energy up 18% in three months. Uh, but it's really starting to take hold. Uh, and remember, you know, energy has been a year-to-date laggard and energy was a, um, you know, after being a big winner last year. So, um, you know, maybe we can, you know, get back to that 2022 environment, at least for the energy sector, uh, and it can uh, reassert leadership. So, um, you know, turning to the international markets, I mean, Europe continues to struggle to keep up with the U.S. when the U.S. tech space does well, Europe has a really hard time keeping up. Yeah. Plus you have a European economy in you know overall deteriorating here. And you have a, a stronger dollar. But currencies are just not helping international returns for US investors. And so you know throw all that together and you know US was clearly the place to be. Uh, we still like Japan better than Europe. Japan actually did quite well last week, you know, up uh north of two percent. And then uh, you you know you did see the market, you know, continuing the Asian discussion. You did see China and Hong Kong start to show signs of life in response to more stimulus. The stimulus isn't a bazooka yet, but it is starting to, you know, add up. We'll say right. And so the market seems to finally be uh, responding to that. And and you know we've said a number of times here that China is a trade, not an investment. Well, it looks like maybe we're on the verge of, of China being a good short-term trade. We'll we'll have to see. Uh, so turning to bonds and commodities, you know, mentioned we mentioned that the bond market is really important for stocks. And here you go. You know, bonds rallied and then the stocks followed suit. We had about a half a percent gain in the Barclays or Bloomberg uh, aggregate. I do that all the time. The Bloomberg aggregate bond index has changed names so many times. I can't keep it straight. So the uh, Bloomberg aggregate bond index up about a half percent. And you see broadly across the bond market, even to high yield uh, up over uh, 
you had really strong gains there as rates came down and the market really solidified its expectations for a September pause from the Fed and then increased the chances that we get another uh, pause in uh, November. In terms of commodities, so Quincy, here's you know energy again up. This is a combination of oil and gas up uh, over two and a half percent. Some really solid gains there. And precious metals, you know, precious metals uh, don't like rising real interest rates, right? That's inflation-adjusted uh, interest rates, and yet they've been doing pretty well lately. Kind of, kind of hanging in there. So precious metals, you know, not one of our best ideas, but but um, you know, gold-related investments we think certainly can make sense in small size here as a as a diversifier. Uh, anything else on the commodity side, Quincy? I mean, was this just maybe a reaction to to the stimulus in China, or is there something else going on? Well, you know, I mean, you had, for example, just for example, because every 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 positive move in the China landscape is helping helping. The market think the bottom is in. The bottom is in, uh, but you've had copper and iron ore holding in there for some time, suggesting that there would be a turnaround, maybe even a bazooka of some sort, perhaps an, some sort of infrastructure package. But nonetheless, uh, one of the one of the major property developers actually made a payment. I mean, the market was holding its collect, global markets were holding its collective breath to see if they could make a payment. And they actually did make a payment. So that that really helped. And also, as you mentioned, the Chinese authorities, uh, People's Bank of China, uh, lowering rates on mortgages dramatic, actually quite, quite dramatically in order to um, to, I don't know, stimulate, stimulate interest and demand. And apparently, according to data, it is it is working. So it's targeted uh, policy. It is monetary policy. But so far, we are not seeing that big bazooka. Uh, maybe maybe the time will come that they feel that they have to do it. And maybe they're actually working on it. Maybe that's what copper and iron ore are actually telling us. Yeah, that, that big move in industrial metals last week, uh, certainly a positive signal, at least in the short term, for uh, Chinese uh, economic activity. So thanks for that, Quincy. Let's uh, just look at a chart of the S&P 500 here real quick and make the point that, you know, we, we're getting closer to resistance. 4,500 roughly where we are as we're recording this, and uh, the next resistance hurdle is 4,600. That's probably going to be tough to get through. And then on the other side, you've got support maybe in the 43 to 43.50 uh, kind of a range. That's August 22 highs or the more recent uh, June lows. I think the good news with the August pullback is that breadth was actually pretty good. You know, we've had um, more than 50% of the S&P 500 still above their 200-day moving average, a positive signal technically. And then, um, you know, these are um, Adam Turnquist's technical momentum indicators, our technician, uh, at LPL, he makes the point that the MACD uh, is um, is signaling positive momentum. Momentum has turned bullish. So, you know, this we're not particularly bullish on the market between now and the end of the year, but certainly on a technical analysis basis, uh, it looks pretty good here. Yeah, S&P looks pretty good here. Uh, I mentioned that the five-month win streak's over. Well, after you end a five-month win streak, stocks tend to keep going higher. This is a Small sample size, 
right? But in these uh, instances, the average gain in the subsequent six months after the after a five month win streak ends for the S and P five hundred, you're up over seven percent on average. So this is certainly a, a reason to think that you know maybe the stock market could continue to uh, defy the skeptics uh, and go higher. You know, continuing the recap of last week, so we got a pretty good PCE report. This is the Fed's preferred inflation measure, Quincy. I mean, I think the job report might have been the bigger news story. But um, you see here, um, our uh, chief economist, Jeff Roach, breaks inflation down into goods and services. And you see here that services inflation continues to be sticky, ticked a little bit higher. But goods prices are, I mean, collapsing, right? Um the uh, goods inflation component of the PCE was actually down uh, year over year. So this is how you get to an overall, you know, 0.2% month over month increase in uh, the core PCE. Actually, the headline and the core were both up 0.2%. If we can string those 0.2s together, we're going to be in a good place. So Quincy, that's the question. Do you think we're going to continue to see these, these tame numbers or is, um, you know, that services piece going to remain sticky and prevent us from uh, making more forward progress. We'll have a good idea this week. We'll get the ISM service sector uh, report. And that's extremely important because in the manufacturing, which we had last week, this is the ISM Institute for Supply Management, Purchasing Manager Index. Uh, we saw prices paid higher. Um, we need to see where that comes in in the service sector. That's going to make a big difference. Uh, but nonetheless, you're right. I mean, the trajectory is correct. The question is how much patience is the Fed actually going to have to wait to see the untangling of the core stickiness? Yeah, we, we do think all those apartment buildings uh, being built will help the rent piece, but that just takes time. So, mm -hmm. you know, the overall PCE, um, Dr. Roach still thinks is going to be in the low threes by the end of the year, but we, we have some more work to do. The last reading was uh, four two. So here's the job market, uh, the, the job report from Friday. And you see this really nice downtrend in the three month moving average. Not only did we have a cool number of 187, uh, which was pretty close to expectations, but, you know, cooling side. But we had uh, job gains in prior months revised lower. So um, that's created this nice downtrend. This is what the Fed wants to see. But add to that, Quincy, we got good news on labor force participation. We got good news on average hourly earning, right? It's fundamentally, it's wages that really matter, right? It does, but you also have to factor in the huge package of wage gains we, that we've seen, everything from the pilots to the UPS, and now United Auto Workers to see if they can actually not go on strike, but come up with a package of higher wages. At some point, you have to envision that the, the companies are going to have to do one of two things. One, pass along higher prices to their end customers, whether they're retail or corporate, or, or did they slice headcount in order to make up for it? That's going to be something we have to watch, but it is not an immediate uh, problem for the market to have to uh, digest. Right. So this this report, you know, th that's an important point about some of those labor negotiations. 
But this report was about as good as the market could have hoped for. And it certainly, you know, helped secure yields, right? We've gone down from, you know, 4.3 to 4.2, or at least near term plateau in yields, right? And again, take some of those rate hike odds out of uh, the market. We'll we'll see what happens going forward, but that was certainly good news. Here's the 10-year yield. Um, ticked higher a little bit on Tuesday morning, but you see here, um, you know, 4.2 coming off of those recent highs. If we break through um, 4.3, these recent highs, then there's really not a whole lot of resistance uh, until you get to 4.5. And then we're talking about, you know, 15-year highs. So um, we're going to be watching these uh, resistance levels uh, really closely here. That's one of the reasons maybe to be nervous about September, <laughs> but the, the real reason to be nervous about September is that it has a bad track record uh, for stock market gains. Here you can see uh, the average performance for September going back to 1950 and then over these various uh, different time periods, and, and it's all down, right? So, uh, you know, this certainly suggests that, you know, we could be down over the next month. But, you know, when you look at batting averages, this is just the percentage of the time September is down. Again, this goes back to 1950 and you see 43.8%. So you do have winning Septembers. Yeah. It's not it's not impossible. Uh, I mean, if it wins, it's probably not winning by much. But certainly, um, you know, it's uh, these seasonals tend to work, but but not always. Uh, the seasonality looks even better if you look at the um, the, the presidential cycle, actually. So I've got mm-hmm. a couple of charts on this. We haven't talked yeah. about this in a while because, you know, the election's a ways off still. But, you know, year three is the best is the best year. It's yeah. the post midterm year. Right. And certainly we've delivered on that with the S&P up, you know, 17 percent year to date. Uh, if you get a new president, which, of course, we did. Uh, this term with Biden, you get a better return typically in year three. And look what happens in year four. So this isn't about September. This is about the you know next year. And, and you see, while year four is typically down, it's typically uh, the worst of the four-year cycle, you tend to see gains if you have a first-term president. So, right. you know, we'll see if that plays out. Um, the um, Maybe the to, to put sort of a bow on this midterm concept, though, remember, the year after the midterm election years, um, after the actual election itself, so this is November to November, uh, we're now up, I believe, 19 straight times. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, there's a possibility that we're <laughs> that we're down um, if the market absolutely collapses between now and November 8th, but we'll just assume that's not going to happen and that we'll be positive again because we're you know up almost 20% off of that. Uh, midterm election from last year. So this pattern is intact, uh, average gain of of about 15%. So that's certainly good news. It's not September seasonality, but it's it's good news. Before we get into the bond market, though, I want to make the point that um, if you come into September and the S&P 500 is above the 200-day moving average, which it is now, then on average, September is up 0.2%. I was kind of alluding to this earlier, right? September is usually a down month, but if you come into uh, September with some momentum, you're more likely to be, you know, flat or up slightly. So, wanted to point that out uh, before we move into bonds. So, so this is the weekly market commentary, Quincy. Um, 
bond market is, you know, bull market is over. Now what? Uh, so Lawrence Gillum, our uh, chief fixed income strategist, did this this week. And it's really interesting. The next chart, especially, I think is really interesting. But so this is, a, you know, the last uh, 41 years for the 10-year treasury yield. And if I look at this chart as a technician, if this was a stock market chart, I would say, wow, there's the potential to really move higher, right? Because you're breaking through some very long-term uh, resistance. But this isn't stocks, this is yields, right? And yields are anchored. So, you know, w- why should we think that this this run is over in yields, Quincy? Can you make the case that, you know, the 10-year yield settles in here in the, I don't know, low fours? Well, if you are in the camp that this will not be a soft landing, but it could be harder than that, yield should come down, right? That's the way it works. When yields come down, that's that's capital appreciation, is it not? So again, there is this tug of war in the market that believes if the yields now keep climbing higher, even a bit, even a bit, because remember, it's the trajectory. It is how quickly they move as opposed to ultimately what, what happens to the economy. But if it's quick, you know, it, it'll start showing uh, or leading to cracks in the auto industry. Forget the UAW issue. All that aside, that is one of the areas we watch because it is sensitive to rates and the economy and also the housing market. So if we start to see that higher yields start hurting the housing market in a material way and also the auto industry, that's that's significant because ultimately what that does is you start to see the 10-year yield come down because of a growth scare. We've seen that before, where you, you see the yield come down, the market, equity market is very excited about it until there's a second, a second look at it. And it is, wait a minute, is this an indication that we are having a growth scare? So again, nothing, not recession, we don't have to get into that camp, but even the the, the idea that a growth scare, and I'll, let me point out too, there's been, Tremendous questioning about the Atlanta Fed now, the GDP now, because that does have a, it's fluid, obviously. All incoming data affects the uh, the probability of, of the rate or, or, the, or the GDP that they forecast. It has already come down, but certainly not in the camp that you would expect if you think, think that the labor market is is beginning to crack. If you be, think that the consumer is beginning to crack, uh, it isn't coming down that way, but I can point this out. The 10-year yield will come down. That would be in essence positive, but not if it is pinned to a stronger growth scare. So that's that's how that's how you look at it. Um, and you know, the other aspect, Jeff, is transitions. Transitions in a market must be watched very carefully because obviously it represents the shift. It represents an important change. If the yields continue to rise, uh, it is an indication that the market believes that the inflation is stickier than we even think right now as we do this call. 
Good point. Yeah, we we don't think uh, in LPL research that yields are going to move much higher, you know, partly because the Fed is possibly done, or if they're not done now, maybe we'll get 25 basis points more and then they'll be done, mm-hmm. right? doesn't matter when they cut necessarily, but that can put a cap on yields. And then we have, yes. you know, slow growth and falling inflation, and that certainly tends to keep yields down. Uh, so, uh, you know, we still think we'll get into the high threes here before the end of the year. Um, it's just um, maybe taking us a little more time to get there than we thought. This is a really cool chart from from Lawrence. Um, it shows yields back to 1880. And until the 70s, it. yeah, this is really great. So until it's the cool. 70s and 80s, which were total outliers with, um, you, you know, rate spiking and inflation surging, three to five percent was normal, right? The 10-year yield was tied to nominal economic growth, right? The real GDP that we report or we follow, that the government reports, plus um, the uh, inflation rate, right? Inflation long-term has been, you know, closer to two, normal. So yeah, uh, right now, 2% growth, 2% inflation, you get to four, that's about where we think we should be, or maybe even a little bit lower in the near term. Um, This makes a really strong case that, you know, four or less is is normal uh so um you know we'll we'll see obviously we can't predict the future the the qe period was abnormal took us down well below three obviously right three five percent range took us to a half (laughs) right which was just uh crazy so we had craziness in the uh 70s and 80s we've had craziness the last 15 years now we're back to normal and um we're comfortable that we're gonna stay in that normal range here uh, maybe the only thing that takes us out of that normal range in, uh, in any meaningful way would be a hard landing. Uh, a recession, certainly, you would think could take us below uh, that 3% range. And then you um, you know turn to uh, the bond market. Here's that Barclays Aggregate Bond Index again. What kind of returns do you get um, in different rate regimes, right? We've broken this down by decade. And then how much is coupon versus price appreciation? So you see here, the blue is is uh, coupon return, which is almost all of the return you get from the broad bond market. So that tells you that these, you know, five, 6% yields you're getting in bonds, that's most likely going to come through, right? And that's what you should pay attention to when you're trying to predict what your bond returns are going to be. Don't worry so much about calling rates. Right, rates can go up a little, they go down a little. Over time, you're going to get, you know, these types of returns uh, aligned with your uh, if, with your yield. So this is, I think, an important reminder. Most of your bond returns come from uh, come from income. So let's go ahead and preview the week ahead, Quincy. Um, you know, it's it's a quiet week. You already mentioned the ISM Services report is probably the most important uh, data point of the week. Uh, but we also get consumer credit, which uh, certainly uh, is important now with all of the market's attention on uh, on, on credit card debt uh, piling up for consumers and uh, a little bit of an uptick in in delinquencies. Uh, what what should investors be watching this week? Well, definitely watch. We're going to be watching how the consumer is handling the debt. Uh, it's extremely important because, especially at transitions where we're looking and watching to see if this economy is slowing down in a material way. Uh, 
we have to watch to see if they're paying their mortgages on time. Are they paying their car loans on time? And then everything else. So far, I mean, we've talked about this, uh, Jeff, in so many, so many occasions. We're not seeing, you know, a heavy uh, shift towards delinquencies. But what you're watching is to see whether or not the late payments pick up in a meaningful way. Yeah, and that's certainly tied to the bond market. I mean, we're not seeing evidence from the bond market that this economy is deteriorating, right? right. You look at right. we high yield earlier, right? You can look at credit spreads. Uh, you can look at delinquencies. Uh, you can look at, um, you know, a number of different uh, indicators. And, mm -hmm. you know, the bond market is certainly telling us that recession is not coming anytime soon. Things could change in a couple of quarters as we get more of these headwinds may be building up. We have the right. student loan payments restarting, right? And that's an additional headwind that we haven't been dealing with uh, recently. So, you know, the headwinds are going to get uh, stiffer here uh, a little bit over the next several months, and we'll see how well uh, the consumer holds up. But but to date, uh, the picture is really, really solid. Yes, resilience. Tremendous resilience in this economy. For sure. So um, so there are just a couple of things to watch this week. Um, uh, with that, we'll go ahead and, and wrap up. So thanks so much, Quincy, uh, for joining another LPL Market Signals. And thank you to all of our loyal listeners uh, for listening to another uh, podcast edition from us. Um, everybody have a wonderful short week, holiday short week. Hope you all had a nice long holiday weekend and uh, we'll be back with you next week for another Market Signals. Take care, everyone. We will see you then. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.